part of the communication we'll be bringing along today is in that thought. I titled it, Our Confidence in the Blood. Can you say, Our Confidence in the Blood? And by the time we talk generally like this, you must personalize the message and tell yourself, My Confidence in the Blood. But I use the word our in this sense because of the fact that when we are dealing with the blood, God looks at at least two or three people. Hallelujah. Are you there? When you are talking about the blood, God looks at the church and he would want us to feast together as far as the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus is concerned. So even under the old covenant, we saw it last week that when God was giving them instructions in Exodus chapter 12, he actually told them that if you are going to kill a lamb, either of a goat or a sheep, and then your household is said that you are not enough to take responsibility for a lamb, you can join with your neighbor. Are you getting the picture? You can do what? Join with your neighbor. What God was painting, the picture he was painting with that instruction was that when it comes to the blood, when it comes to the body of Jesus, it is not only one person who makes up the body. It is one body but different members. So he gave that picture in the Old Testament to say that when we, we are applying the blood, it must not just be one person. It works better when it is two or three. For where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, he, the Lord said, I am there in their midst. Hallelujah. Amen. Alright, so those who were not here last week, Sunday, we spoke along the same line and we titled it The Blood as a Weapon. And time will not permit me to go into all that, but today we're looking at a very wonderful picture of how we can build confidence in the blood and how we can use the Holy Communion which Jesus Christ instituted the last Passover feast Jesus had. We saw it last week Sunday. He instituted something greater and better than the lamb that they used to kill during the Passover feast because he was the lamb of God. John the Baptist look at him and introduce him as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus as a lamb once he was going to offer himself, they didn't need to kill any lamb again. Are you there? Because he is the lamb. The lamb of God. And once he was going to shed his blood, they didn't need to shed animal blood again. That is why we don't continue the Passover feast the way they used to do it under the old covenant. But when Jesus Christ, the night in which he was betrayed, the day or the night before he was crucified, he instituted something new and he called it the cup of the new covenant, the new testament in his blood. And he, he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and said, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. That bread represented the animals that they used to eat under the old covenant. And then after supper, the Bible says he took the cup and said, this cup is the new testament in my blood, drink it. So, at any given time, when two or three people gather together and then they bless bread and call it the body of Jesus and then they bless the cup and call it the blood of Jesus, at that given moment, you are introducing something that Jesus Christ instituted himself. You are applying it. And by that application, I'm telling you, that 
is the last weapon that Satan, if he has never given up, that one he can he has no choice than to say, Enough, I give up. Hallelujah. Amen. Are you there? Amen. All right. Time will not permit me to read a lot of scriptures today, but I'll just summarize everything. It all started in Exodus chapter 5. You may go back to the scriptures and read them because it's a whole lot. I cannot, if you want to read, then it will just be read throughout the whole day. But Exodus chapter 5 into chapter 6, chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and then by chapter 12, we see that God employed what we're going to talk about. And at that level, Satan just gave up. Can I say something? There are a lot of us here who have or who were never engaged in any battle. You were Christian, right? And But there was no trouble. There was no agitation about you until a prophetic word came over your life. And then the prophetic word just set in motion a battle that you could not appreciate. Let me tell you, there is nothing new under the sun. It happened right from Exodus chapter 5. In Exodus chapter 5, you will discover, if you read it, you will discover that God had met Moses or rather Moses had met God, whichever way that is right. And then God commissioned him. Moses gave all the excuses and God told him that, look, no problem. I will make you a God to Pharaoh. God means one who is in charge. In other words, I will put you in charge of Pharaoh. I know Pharaoh is the one in charge of the whole of Egypt, but I will make you in charge of Pharaoh. Said that everything that will happen in Egypt will be by your word, but I will make Aaron your prophet. So even if you are complaining that you cannot talk, Aaron will speak for you. Aaron was three years older than Moses. That was his brother. And then they went together. So in Exodus chapter 5, you see Moses go to Pharaoh and then tell Pharaoh that that says the Lord. God who appeared to our ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob by the name the Lord God Almighty has appeared to me as Jehovah and he wants his people according to his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to go and worship him three days journey and to sacrifice before him. Of course, God had in mind that he was going to fulfill his promise by taking them from Egypt to the promised land which was, or which is Canaan. Is that, is that okay? That was God's mind. Lo and behold, that word provoked Pharaoh. Then he asked Moses, who is that God? Do I even know any God that you are talking about? Then Pharaoh said, it looks as if these people already, the Israelites were in servitude. They were slaves. They were in bondage. They were, they were building Egypt. They were the, the taskmasters. I mean, the, 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 the laborers. And they had taskmasters. That's the Egyptians over them supervising their work. That statement lets my people go infuriated Pharaoh so much that he actually decided that, okay, now the taskmasters, instead of you providing the materials for them to build, don't even supply the materials. Let them build without the materials. But within the same time period, and you can imagine, that was the beginning of the warfare of the nation Israel, so to speak. That is the people of Israel in Egypt. What am I saying? All I'm saying is that some of us would never have been engaged in a battle until God spoke to you and said, that says the Lord. Is there anybody here who has received a prophetic word and it looked like ever since the prophetic word came, life is the very opposite? Tell your neighbor, take courage. Take courage. I like the prophetic song Edmund brought. 
In other words, don't cry. Wipe your tears. It was a prophetic message you didn't know. So God is encouraging us that the fact that you receive a prophetic word and it provoked battle doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. In fact, to the extent that now when Moses and Aaron will go, if you read the subsequent chapters, they will go and talk to the Israelites. They will remind them because their, their, their complaint was that we were fine. Though we were laborers, though we were in servitude, but we were fine. At least we could eat. But now you have made our bed in double. Just by coming to talk to this Pharaoh that uh, your God says that he, he wants us out. Look at what you have made, brought on us. But you, you discover in chapter 6 I would want all of us, okay, before the close of the year, take time and read Exodus chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, up to 12. You will discover beautiful things. If you want to read all throughout the chapters, that will be for the whole day. So I'm just summarizing everything that happened in these chapters. By chapter 6, you discover, people of God, that God now appeared to Moses and Aaron again and said, okay, no problem. It is true that Pharaoh had multiplied the task of my people but still go to Pharaoh and tell him that let my people go and then God told Moses that I will harden his heart and I will make known all my signs I will show all my signs you know to to prove that I am the Lord well it started do you know the very first sign that Moses demonstrated before Pharaoh the magicians of Egypt also did the same. Moses, God told him that when you go, drop your rod and it will turn into a serpent. When Moses did that and it turned into a serpent, Pharaoh called the, Egyptian, um, the magicians of Egypt said, come, 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 come. Come and show Moses that we too, we got some power. So the magicians also came and dropped their rods and it also turned into serpents. The difference was that Moses' serpent swallowed the rest of the serpents of the magicians. Are you there? Let me tell you, the light shines in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. What does this tell us? It tells us that Satan is not natural. He is supernatural. Please, are you there? Those of us who want to fight the fight of faith in our natural strength. Bible says that by the arm of flesh. It says that by strength shall no man prevail. And the arm of flesh will fail you. So if you want to deal with spiritual things with your natural strength you will fall down flat in your face and you will know that Satan yes, he is a defeated foe but he is supernatural so if you want to address him you address him supernaturally Amen. are you there? Amen don't fight in the flesh when Satan wants to reduce you into the flesh, stay in the spirit because he knows that in the flesh he has the advantage the reason why sometimes Satan provokes us and brings us into the flesh is so that he will get us. He will just ambush us. That's the word. He will trap you and then now deal with you in the flesh. So when Satan wants to bring you into the flesh, stay in the spirit. Am I communicating? Yes, Alright. Now, moving on, there were other miracles that Moses and Aaron performed before Pharaoh day after day, they will go to Pharaoh and then they will tell him, God says he said, that says the Lord, let my people go, and then you will find Pharaoh calling the magicians and they also perform those signs and wonders but it got to a time, listen Satan has a limit, it got to a time, there was a particular miracle Moses performed and by Aaron, and 
the Bible says the Egyptians could not. Do you know the, the miracle? It was it was the the boils. Even before the boils that came over them, there were some miracles. That's what I'm saying. That time will not permit me if you want to go chapter after chapter. But you discover that there was a time where the magicians were limited. They could not do what. And in fact, they went to Pharaoh and said, "This one is the finger of God." So you better let these people go. But the Bible says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. Do you think Satan gives up easily? Do you know why Satan doesn't, doesn't give up? Can I answer that question? Do you know why Satan doesn't give up? The reason why Satan doesn't give up is that he's already condemned. His place has been determined without compromise. God will not change his mind as far as Satan's final place is concerned. Satan does not lose anything because he has lost it already. So if you give up, he has the advantage because he doesn't lose anything. His place, according to Matthew 25 verse 41, is the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He knows it. Bible says that Peter tells us, he says, be vigilant. Be sober. For your adversary, the devil, walketh about roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Because, and then in Revelations, we, we, we see that he is full of wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. Revelations chapter 12. Are you there? Full of wrath. He's a war to the inhabitants of the earth because your adversary, Satan, is in your midst. And he is full of wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. He knows his time is near. So he doesn't lose anything because he has lost everything already. So you and I who are fighting the good fight of faith. Instead of giving up. We should quit like men. Bible says quit you like men. In other words be strong. In the midst of the battles. You can still tell yourself that I'm not going down. I'm not allowing this storm to drown me. I will stay afloat. I will stay on top of the storms. Are you there? Yes, the very sir. storm that was meant to drown me. I will use it as a chariot. So somewhere along the line. The Egyptian magicians gave up because they could not perform the miracles that Moses and Aaron were performing. But even that, take note, even that, Pharaoh still had in his heart. There were so many things from hail, you know, hail storm, hail storm mixed with fire that came and ran across the whole land and cleared all their cultivation, destroyed everything, said that they wouldn't even have anything to eat. The Bible says that nothing of a search happened in Goshen, where the Israelites were. Even that, Pharaoh didn't give up. Then the next day, God now added another thing from frogs to lies. You know lies. These days we don't have lies. They are there. But they are not common. But there was lies everywhere. Singular is laos, mm? lies everywhere from boils to frogs to lies to their rivers turned into blood. And the Bible said the land was thinking, their animals dying. Everything that God did, Pharaoh still hardened his heart. People of God, what am I saying? Do you think Satan just gives up just because he said out? He said, Oh, I'm going because he said out. No, he will always fight back. That is what the Bible says. It's the good fight of faith. Stay strong. When Satan says, I won't go, he says, you are going. But if you just give up and say, because he says, I'm not going, then that's it. Because he doesn't lose anything. Why? Because he has lost everything already. Hallelujah. Amen. 
But there was one final thing that God did that Pharaoh could not resist. That's what I'm talking about this morning. That's my message. Our confidence in the blood. Say our confidence, confidence. in the blood. In the blood. Because God decided that he will perform all his signs before Pharaoh. Just to prove that he is God. But he also knew that there was one last moment. Which was actually a picture of what Jesus Christ would come and accomplish. And he has done it. So those of us who are in Christ. Who have access to the blood of Jesus. We should have this great confidence. That nothing in this world can topple us over. Hallelujah. Amen. The people of God must build so much confidence in the blood of Jesus that any time for communion is the best moment for the church. I'm telling you. Let me just digress one second and tell you four things that that build the church, that unite the church, that make us strong and one. Four things. Hallelujah. Amen. So that you will know that God has us in mind and he wants to treat us differently from the rest of the world. In fact, when you look at Exodus chapter 12, by the time we get to Exodus chapter 12, when God gave them instruction about they killing the animal, that's the lamb of either a goat or a sheep, and using the blood, he told them that any stranger amongst you should not be a partaker of it. Unless that stranger is circumcised. And in Christ Jesus, the circumcision is not physical circumcision. The Bible talks about the circumcision of the heart. When your heart is changed, when you are born again, when you become a child of God, that gives you access to something that the rest of the world doesn't have. Are you there? So, there are four things that God uses to unite the church, to bring us together, to make us one, such that it doesn't matter how Satan has resisted when we apply those four things, there's no way he will not give up. Hallelujah. Oftentimes, because we don't know this, we allow Satan also to just eat into our mess and then div divide us. His philosophy and his rule is divide and rule. That's how you praise. But four things. Number one. Number one is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Some say the coming of the Holy Spirit. Whenever a believer receives the Holy Spirit, he is given the ability to commune with heaven. Do you know in Genesis chapter 11, something happened. God divided the whole world through tongues. There was one language until Genesis chapter 11, the whole world. But when men decided to build and make a name for themselves, God divided the whole world by languages. He scattered them abroad. And then that confused them and stopped them from doing what they wanted to do in Genesis chapter 11. But then you find in Acts chapter 2, God used the same phenomenon of languages to unite a people. Hallelujah. And to start a new move called the church of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit came, they, they heard them speak with other tongues. Some said that, oh, but they spoke in tongues that others could hear. But the people themselves couldn't understand what they were saying. So it was still unknown tongues. Are you there? Whether tongues of men or of angels, there was something that God did. Whenever we receive the Holy Spirit and then we begin to speak in tongues, do you know what happens? It binds us together. It unites us as a force. I'm telling you, there is no greater unity that the church can achieve than the unity that comes by the receiving of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. It's the same Holy Spirit. 
The same Holy Spirit that made you a member of the body of Christ made me also a member of the body of Christ. And then you receive him into you. That is a miracle. Hallelujah. So because you have the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit, it makes us one. He may talk to you and then also prompt me. So by the time I meet you, I just know what is in your mind. Why? Because it is one spirit. That is how we are united. Hallelujah. Amen. Number two, so we are talking about receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. That's how God builds us as one. Number two is Christian baptism in water. I pray that before the close of the year, we've been talking about it. I know that we are supposed to do some number of baptism. There are some of us here who have been born again, but we have taught about Christian baptism in water and we are supposed to have a beginner's class and train you know, or teach, rather, teach some people the knowledge of Christian baptism in water and get them immersed in water. Hallelujah. That is one concept by which God unites the body. Because you went through the water, I went through the water. Bible says that we have one spirit, one baptism. Are you there? One baptism. So that is another pillar that God uses to unite the church. One baptism. I'm talking about baptism in water. What we call baptism in the Holy Spirit, let me tell you something, it's not baptism in the Holy Spirit. Many people receive the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in tongues and then they say they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. I beg to differ from that concept. No, I have taught these things so you can go back to our messages. You will discover that it is one thing to receive the Holy Spirit, it's another thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then it's another thing to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. That is baptized in the Holy Spirit. All three can happen the same day, like it happened in Acts chapter 2. They received the Holy Spirit, they were filled, and then they were baptized. But many times, many people receive the Holy Spirit, and they don't know that we are supposed to be ever filled with the Spirit. We are supposed to always engage the Holy Spirit to be filled with Him, so that we can be immersed in Him. Baptism means to be immersed in Him. So, those who have received the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues may conclude that, I am baptized in the Holy Spirit. Please go back to my message. You will discover that when you are truly baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't even have, even how to die, if you are to die, you don't even have a choice. True baptism takes over your personality, your being, your thinking, such that you don't do your will any longer by the will of the Father. Hallelujah. So, let me not go back to that message, but you can go back to our podcast, our YouTube messages, they are all there. I spoke a lot about baptism in the Holy Spirit and you've got to learn, receive the Holy Spirit and baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's the difference. Is that okay? But number two, that unites us, I said, is what? Christian baptism in water. If you are here, you're born again and you have not been baptized in water yet, there is something that is missing. Yes, you belong. But you are robbing yourself of a certain spiritual advantage that those who are baptized in water enjoy. Are you there? Why don't you fulfill all righteousness? When you know right, do right. It's as simple as that. Number three. The third thing that God uses to unite us is the social aspect of church life. Even Jesus, do you know he went to a wedding ceremony? The first miracle he ever did was not at, at a wedding ceremony. And Jesus also went to a funeral. In his case, he actually went and raised the dead back to life. I pray that we'll have funerals where we'll go. Instead of going to bury the person, we'll raise the person back to life. Hallelujah. <laughs> Apostle Paul made a point in 1 Corinthians. He says that if those who do not believe, talking about unbelievers, 
bid you to a, I mean, to a feast or invite you, let me use the modern language, invite you to a party and you feel like going, go. And whatever I said before you, eat, bless it and eat it. That tells you that not only Jesus, but even in the epistles, we are allowed to have feasts. Thank God, in the course of the year, into early next year, we'll have a love feast. Hallelujah. That's a social aspect of church. Feasting together. Eating together. Having marriage ceremonies, engagements, wedding, blessing, and dedicating children. It's part of the social life. And then also, mourning with those who mourn. Like some of us were in the Volta region yesterday to mourn with a brother who lost the father, Mr. Melville. Are you there? Some of us were around. Last, I mean yesterday, to do what? To just, because Bible says mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. It is part of the unity of the church. The social aspect of church can never be taken away. There's a time for everything. Hallelujah. Amen. When it's time for celebration, celebrate. When it's time for mourning, identify with those who mourn and empathize with them. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Number four. The fourth thing, the fourth thing that God uses to unite us is what we are talking about today, the Holy Communion. Someone say the Holy Communion. To the extent that if you are not a part of the body, you are not permitted to partake of the Holy Communion. That tells you you are not a part of us. Are you there? We encourage everybody to be a part, but so long as you don't have Jesus, you are not a part. So you cannot, in fact, you even be bringing a curse upon yourself. But let me say this. I said all these four things to say that if, for instance, as a church, International Prayer Resort Ministries, we say we are having church. How many years now? Two years plus, right? And then there is nothing like anybody receiving the Holy Spirit to speak in other tongues. There is nothing like people being baptized in water. There is nothing like social aspect of the church life, whether it's marriage or it's funeral or child dedication or feasting. And then there is nothing like Holy Communion. I dare say that that is not church. It's as simple as that. That is not what? Church. I like the word you use. It's an organization. But a church is not just an organization. It can run on organizational principles, but the church itself is an organism. Are you there? The church runs, as far as the social aspect and the administrative aspect is concerned, we use organizational principles. But that is more than the church. The church doesn't just run on organizational and administrative principles. It is actually an organism. It's a being. Jesus is the head and we are members of the same body. So if you are in a church and then the owner of the church, the head of the church, the one who started the church, Jesus Christ himself says that these are the foundations. It is like the four corners of a house. These are the pillars on which you hang the church. And you say you will not do it. You are not having a church. You are only having an organization. Amen. Let me tell you. I hear the spirit say that strengthen the things that remain. What does that mean? The things I've just mentioned, strengthen them. If we're going to have a solid church that can never be toppled over, these four things must be done consistently, constantly, every day. Hallelujah. Every now and then, we must factor into our programming people receiving the Holy Spirit. Because whether we like it or not, new people will come in. They may come and find us praying in tongues and say, what is this? 
they must be referred to our messages on speaking in tongues, receiving the Holy Spirit, and then they also get in there. Every now and then, people get born again. We must get them baptized in water. Every now and then, people will be marrying. We must associate with them. People may lose a loved one. We must associate with them. Somebody may be doing child education. We must associate with them. That's a social aspect. And then finally, every now and then, like this coming Wednesday, it's a, it's a communion service. It's a revival and communion service. Please don't absent yourself. Can you tell your neighbor, don't, don't absent, yourself. absent yourself. You have no idea. Listen, we are talking about our confidence in the blood. You have no idea the provision God has given us. Some of the prayers we are praying, they may never be answered until we do this one thing by partaking of the Holy Communion. Because we saw in Exodus chapter 12 last week Sunday, and that is where I'm going to, that's the final picture. In Exodus chapter 12, God gave them the final instruction and told them that, look, as for this one, whether you like it or not, Pharaoh will let you go. Amen. God himself had confidence that, look, I, I have done everything. The man says, he will still not let, but this one, it will not fail. In other words, when you have done everything and it seems nothing is working, when it comes to the blood, there is, there's a red card. That's the red card. When it comes to the blood, Satan will say, mm, there is nothing that provokes Satan than when we begin to eat and drink from the cup of blessing. I'm telling you, Hallelujah. last week Sunday, I said that the blood and its application is not when you stand and say that the blood of Jesus is against you. You, you have never part- been a partaker of the, of the Holy Communion before, but you are saying the blood of Where did you get that concept from? It's when you eat and drink, it is as good as marking the side post of your house. This body is your house. I hope you know that. You are a spirit. You live in this house. So when you drink the blood, you are marking the side post and the upper door post, which we call lentil, with the blood. And when the enemy wants to come and destroy, when he sees the blood, you are marking, ah, you will pass over. Hallelujah. Amen. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ Amen. that IPR as a church Amen. We will take the Holy Communion Amen. more seriously. I pray. Because some of us, our trouble is not trouble. It is simply because the enemy you are dealing with doesn't just give up. But when you apply the blood, he will say, mm, 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 this one, let me just check out because this one, I don't, I, I, even in Exodus chapter 12, I couldn't stand. Let alone in Christ Jesus, which is upon better promises. Are you there? Amen. Say my confidence. My confidence. In the blood. In the blood. I told you that it's our confidence, but you must personalize that confidence. Said that you must look for somebody in your household who agrees with you, who is in the faith. And say, look, let's partake of the Holy Communion. It looks as if we are dealing with a trouble that cannot go. This demon keeps coming in and going out. I'm talking to the family prophetically now. Mommy, are you there? This demon keeps coming in and going out. But there's a secret. The secret is let's set a table. Let's bless this cup and call it the blood of Jesus. Amen. And eat from that table, the bread. It's called the body of Jesus as a family. It can be two. It can be more than two. And then you drink. Say, this is the blood of Jesus. And let's see whether this devil can come in again. You have overcome. I'm prophesying to this family. Amen. RSM, you have overcome. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Alright. Somebody said he never read a scripture. Let me read Exodus chapter 12. Let's conclude. Exodus 12. 
Okay. Let me take it from verse 23. Last week we read some early verses of that scripture. But from 23, it says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass, verse 25, when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did so they did, verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne. Are you there? To the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night. He all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Are you there? Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise! Go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve, serve the Lord your God, as you have said. Go, 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 go. I also take your flocks and your hairs, as you have said, and, he, and be gone, and bless me also. <laughs> Did you hear that? So you go, you go, go, go. I can't take this any longer, but bless me also. Pharaoh was asking for blessing. 33. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. Are you there? At this time, they couldn't contain it any longer. Listen, not when you apply the blood. Hallelujah. Amen. Say, our confidence in the blood. Amen. 34. So the people took their dough before it was leaving, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they planted. The King James says they spoiled. They planted the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. Who are this mixed multitude? This mixed multitude were not Israelites. They were Egyptians who had believed in the God who fought for the Israelites. But the condition was that if they were going to be a part of, you know, they escaping the wrath, then they at least they should be circumcised. In other words, if anybody will ever be a partaker of the blood, the person must be born again. It's as simple as that. You must be circumcised in heart. The circumcision in the flesh was actually symbolic of, of the circumcision that God alone does in our hearts. Hallelujah. Amen. On and on and on. And then they went out. In fact, somewhere along the line, you know the story that Pharaoh felt like this one, how can I let these people go? Let me chase them. But God did his final onslaught. God opened the Red Sea by the hand of Moses. And then he allowed the Israelites to walk on dry ground. Please, have you ever seen that before? Sea opening its mouth. 
divided into two. And Bible says it was a heap of war here and there. And the people of Israel walked on dry ground. Please, this is the kind of God we are serving on. Unless it's another God. I don't know which battle that is confronting you. But they walk on dry ground. And when they had finished, Bible says God told Moses that stretch off your hand and close up the sea. Mind you, the Egyptians had also attempted. Satan doesn't just give up. Some of us think that before, because I said out, then it is done. No. He will resist. God said that you're going to have children. First pregnancy, miscarriage. Second pregnancy, miscarriage. Third pregnancy, miscarriage. And you have given up. Ah, I know a couple. They are in, in, in Kenya. Very wonderful couple. Tony and Elevaya. Oseso. This is a wonderful couple. And I remember some years ago, we were all together in the same fellowship. And this woman had a promise that God is going to give her twins. They had a daughter who is now a big girl. And let me tell you something. Somebody said, but she even had one. Me, I've not even had one. I'm just giving you the principle. The principle was that the woman had a prophecy that she was going to give birth to twins. And I remember one of the miscarriages. This woman wept until her eyes almost bought out. Because year after year, she will conceive and something will happen and the pregnancy will just drop. Five months, it will just drop. And year after year, I just thank God that when they went back to Kenya, they didn't give up. After many years, as I'm talking, just last week or last two weeks, the twins that they had given birth were 15 years old. And I said, glory be to God. If God says it, it will happen. Hallelujah. So if you have a word on your life and it seems like nothing is working, just bear in mind that there is a devil who says, I will not give up. But that is when we've got to learn the secret of building confidence in the blood. Learn, if it's not even church, learn to create an atmosphere of church at home and partake of the Holy Communion. Because that one does not fail. Hallelujah. If everything, you know, seems like it has failed, not when the blood is applied. Hallelujah. Amen. I said not when the blood is applied. So this coming Wednesday, all that I'm saying is that this coming Wednesday, if you have never been a part of our revival service, this is the last but one revival service this year. It's been 12 months. Some of us have never been a part of it. But this coming Wednesday, plus the next one in December, don't absent yourself. Probably all you need, all you needed was what I'm sharing, the blood. Maybe you have prayed, you have fasted, you have done everything. But when we apply the blood, when we mark the doorposts of our house by drinking the blood, that devil will pass over. Amen. That death assignment will pass over. Amen. That sickness will pass over. Amen. That demon will pass over. Amen. Because of what? The blood. The blood. Kindly stand to your feet.